This is the John Oakley Show podcast. It is one of those days where there's just all kinds of things we wanted to address. The folks, Autism Advocacy Ontario, uh, who are not pleased with the government's handling of the autism file. It's uh, a difficult one, hardest one, I guess, according to the premier that he's had to encounter early on in his mandate. Wanted to get around to education funding in general because the TDSB now, Toronto District School Board, saying they're going to come up with the shorts uh, because of the changes to the government's funding, uh, that's $21 million light, but they've got a structural deficit as well, which will mean about $54 million short in the coming school year. Annie Kidder is the Executive Director and Founder of People for Education, and she's joined the Oakley Show to put this all into perspective. Annie, good to have you back on board. Hi there. Glad to be here. It seems to be a never-ending conversation. Just about. You know, as a matter of fact, that's curious you say that, because uh, with the government uh, changing things, the TDSB says they're going to be $21 million short through the government's uh, funding, but they've also got a structural deficit that will result in an additional, like, $33 million short. Why does the TDSB have a structural deficit? It's, I'm not sure I exactly know what a structural deficit is, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I think what's important, though, to know is a, a number of boards are saying they're going to end up short in that way. So there's a kind of there's ongoing deficits to do with, you know, operations, building maintenance, all of those things that are always, you know, you're always trying to sort of fold in every year, do a little robbing Peter to pay Paul. But I think that you know what we're looking at right now is across the province boards saying. You know, boards in the far north, urban boards like Toronto, um, that the you know that the impact is going to be very substantial cuts to funding that they're going to have to deal with. And I think that, you know, that that's really, you know, we ended up in a long, long conversations about class size, but really this is, as the government promised, they're, you know, trying to uh, balance the budget, and part of that balancing is happening in education. And it is going to be, boards right now are working pretty, you know, uh, tight to the, whatever the right expression is, close to the bone, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, so that when any funding changes, they lose their flexibility to kind of move mon- money around in order to deal with ongoing deficits that they, they can't actually carry from year to year, and to deal with trying to make things work for the students in in their area. And obviously, Toronto is different than um, Kenora. Uh, it has different needs and different, uh, you know, different unique issues, but both in both areas, they're saying we've got a problem here. The strike point seems to be, as you've uh, referenced already, the class size thing. So let's start with that, because Lisa Thompson, who's the minister, uh, you know, she's talked about this attrition fund of $1.6 billion over four years, calls it historic. She also says she's confident the province is, quote, getting it right when it comes to increasing class sizes. She says we heard from people who wanted to have effective classrooms, and uh, that getting up to 28 from 22 on average is going to accomplish that. You say what? I, I say that's not. There's no evidence to back up that bigger classes are more effective. And really, again, it's really important. This it's not really about class size. It's going to mean a lot less money in education. And yes, there is an attrition fund there, but it's a fund that will be reduced and then end in four years in order to make up for the huge cuts. So what we're going to lose is is teacher positions. So there will just plain be fewer teachers in schools. So it's not really. Again, it's not about class size, but it is about boards losing the flexibility 
that they had before to be able to go, you know what, we know in these areas we need to have really small classes, either in cases where students are just starting high school, for example, and they're really struggling, or where there's very specialized classes, say in grade 12, that maybe only 20 students want to take, they're not going to have the flexibility to have little tiny classes and big classes. So in some cases, you can have bigger classes. But to say bigger classes are better across the board, that, there's just no evidence to back that up. And, you know, we can all get people to say anything. But that one's pretty hard to get people to say. But, there, again, the real issue here is... Will school boards have enough money uh, to support the kind of education that all of our kids need? And I, I think we have to remember this is an investment, and it's investment in you know in all of our futures here. Um, and it's probably the most important one we can make. And uh, you know that's that's the kind of we have to keep our eye on that prize. Okay, so when uh, Robin Pilkey, who heads the board here in Toronto, suggests that uh, because there's a funding shortfall and even though there is this attrition fund, there will be fewer positions filled by teachers down the road, fewer teachers equal fewer courses, equal fewer options, equal fewer graduates, and it's bad for the economy. You believe in that? Maybe maybe a slightly hyperbolic in terms of the absolute connection between those things, but I actually do think there is. I think, and I'm, and maybe you know, I'm not sure if it'll directly lead to fewer graduates, but what it will directly lead to is fewer graduates who have the broad kinds of skills and competencies that are needed in today's world. And it's really important we remember, but million, not millions, a lot of reports have come out over the last year about one just came out about the intangibles economy or the knowledge economy people talk about the skills economy and they you know in a skills revolution and and employers are saying you know we need a whole different brand of person here and it's not so much the old basics we need but the new basics which cross all curriculum that are, you know, in critical thinking and creativity and innovation and, you know, being able to be an entrepreneur yourself. And so what when you take away the course choices or you kind of limit or narrow uh, the curriculum, which definitely is what will be a result of this, then we're not necessarily going to graduate the kinds of kids that we need for, for kind of for the modern economy, but also to deal with all of the mess that we have in the world right now, because we really need people who can solve very complex problems. Well, and this is where we get down to, I guess, almost a philosophical question, too. I mean, there are wants versus needs in terms of uh, the curriculum uh, or, you know, planning for the future. Mm -hmm. And yet you've got a government strapped for cash. I mean, they inherited this mess from the education premiers. Uh, I might say that, I think, somewhat confidently. How do we reconcile things? I mean, if you're in charge and uh, you're heading the ministry, what do you do? Do you not make cuts? I think what you don't do is start with the money. I think there probably are, you know, I'll be hung for this, but there probably are places to quote-unquote find efficiencies. They might not be, they might be more about how are we connecting our systems? So how do we make sure that we're not either replicating services or if I'm going for support, uh, you know, there's 
whatever, I can't think of it, but, you know, there's social workers who work either in social services or in education, but not both. That's a really simplistic example. And there may be places within education that things could work better or more effectively, but you actually have to start with figuring that out. You have to start with thinking about what are our goals? What are the kinds of skills and competencies that we think all graduates should have? How do we make sure nobody's being left out? And then, how do we um, be more efficient in our funding? But I think in this case, we've done it the other way around. Instead, we've started with, you know, that is a huge amount of money. How can we do it for less? And looked for places to make cuts without thinking about the impact on education. And I would argue making cuts in high school, um, it, it, it's, it, it, it might be the worst place to be doing that. And specific and just cutting teachers. And yes, there's an attrition fund, but the attrition fund is just there to ease the pain as we get to this massive cut. Um, Annie, so, I, let me just yeah. ask you, though, because, I mean, what you've stated in your own scenario, perhaps finding efficiencies, and you admit that mm-hmm. you might be hung out to yeah. dry for saying Do you think the teachers' <laughs> unions would be willing to comply and go along with such an arrangement? I mean, if it came to that, or is there intransigence part of the problem in the equation? There may, there, it, it may be part of everybody's problem in education that education has a very hard time. I can, I'm going to be hung for this too. It's good. You're bringing out it all on me today. Um, evolving. So evolution is needed. But that evolution, again, can't start with how can we do it for less. That's not the problem. So it's, and I'm not sure, I think that the intransigence comes from things like this. It's like we're going to come in and we're going to cut. As opposed to um, we actually need to have a very big, very uh, comprehensive conversation about what are we doing in our schools? Are we doing the right things? Are we doing the things to really truly prepare kids for the world as it is now and as it is going to be in 20 years? And how do we make sure of that? And then are there different ways of funding it? I mean, we have a funding formula in Ontario most of which is just the same as it was in 1997. Well, the world has really changed since then. So how do we look at that? But, but again, it, the bravery will, saying, it will be saying we're going to have that comprehensive conversation and start from there. And then I think, I think that everybody's up for that. It's when it comes out in this way where it, it feels more like uh, um, a kind of, an, well, it is an economic argument rather than an educational one. Well, we'll see. I mean, if the union's good to let the 32-year Latin teacher go. <laughs> so, <laughs> Annie, I don't I'll, think there are any Latin teachers. Well, okay. Oh, they've already gone. Wow. Uh, so the, the yeah. union was compliant after all. We can work with these people. Uh-huh. Uh, Annie, I appreciate your time. Thank you for it. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Annie Kidder is the exec director and founder of People for Education. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.